Jesus' name, amen. So we come in this moment, uh, we have entered into 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we have said that indeed 1 Timothy chapter 5 is a passage about the familial care of the family of God. That the church of God, here within the context of this world, is to act and live like a family. Indeed, verses 1 and 2, we saw that the church is to be a place of familial care and concern, that we are to restore and reconcile relationships within the church of the living God in such a way that we care for one another as if they are our fathers, our mothers, our brothers, and our sisters. In verses 3 through 16, we saw that the church is to lovingly protect and provide for those who are widows in need. Indeed, they, those widows are, are those who are left alone, who have devoted themselves and their time and their talents to the ministry of the church. And the church is to appropriately step up and to provide and protect for them. The church is to be the family of God, seeking him faithfully serving his kingdom in fidelity and saturating this church and community fully with his love. Indeed, today we come to a passage that says not only are to you, you to treat one another as mothers, brothers, sisters, mother, fathers, mothers, brothers and sisters. I'll get it out in a minute. But we are also to care for, provide, and protect those who are given their lives to full-time ministry, specifically the elders, the pastors, and the overseers of the church. Indeed, we are to care for one another as if they are our family, because ultimately our truest family within the entirety of eternity is the spiritual family of God with whom we will dwell for the rest of eternity. And so we are to take care of our family, and in doing this, we are to reflect the character of God. We are to provide for those who God has given to minister within the context of the local church. Now the story is told of three small boys who were doing what three small boys do best. They were comparing and contrasting their dads. You ever seen that happen? Never seen it play out? The first one looked around. He said, well, I just want you guys to know my dad's the greatest because my dad, he writes a few words on a sheet of paper, just a few lines and sends it off in the mail and gets $50 because he calls it a poem. And the second kid looked over and said, well, that's okay. My dad writes a few dots on a piece of paper and he calls it a song. He sends it off and he gets $100. The last kid said, well, my dad's better than all of y'all because he writes a few words on a piece of paper stands in a pulpit, calls it a sermon, and it takes four men to take up the offering. (laughs) Indeed, there's a lot of different views on exactly who a pastor is and how he's to be provided for, but we need to be biblical in our approach and understand that the approach that we are to have is ample respect and ample remuneration for the man of God who faithfully preaches and proclaims the word of God. Our text for today deals with the subject of pastors pay their pay and their purity. It also deals with the church's responsibility of protecting and providing for their pastors. It's not easy for me to preach on these verses for a couple of reasons. Number one, because money is never easy to talk about. Indeed, it has been so abused within the evangelical church of America that it is often hard to talk about money because everybody goes, well, look, Look, they just want money. They're just talking about money all the time. Well, if you've been around for any length of time, you can't say that about us, can you? We preach on it when it comes up. 
but we don't make a point of it. Number two is, I'm quite frankly, a staff who is provided for and ministered to by this passage in first timothy chapter five so this is you know a little bit like you know standing before you and saying hey give me more well i'm not saying that that's not the point that's not the purpose i'm not doing that i'm just preaching what the word of god says if you've come to this church as i said for any length of time you know that we don't emphasize money in the way that some other ministries especially those on tv do we don't hound you even when we have financial shortfalls over several months through the course of the last year we have had some difficulties with finances well why in the world don't you hound us why don't you just stand up there and plead and beg well here's why because we live by faith and not by sight and i am dead set that indeed if we are a church who is god honoring christ-centered and gospel driven god will honor and take care of the ministry that he wants to work out and as a church family our normal method is to open the bible to preach expository sermons systematically through the scriptures and if money is in the text then I, that i come to then guess what i preach on money And if it's not in the text, guess what I don't preach on? Money. Indeed, we need to understand that the Word of God is God-breathed. It is theonoustos, God-breathed, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. If anything, we probably underemphasize money within our congregation, but the next two weeks we're going to come to this passage, and this week we are going to specifically look at the pastors and their pay, and the next week week we're going to look at the pastors and their purity and we're going to see the roles and responsibilities that the church is to carry in protecting and providing for those who would be elders overseers and pastors as we come today let us see the pastors their pay and their purity from first timothy chapter 5 verse 17 through 25 let's stand in honor of the reading of this god's holy word 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. And it reads as follows, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard 
at preaching and teaching. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it engages our hearts and our lives at every point throughout the course of our day. And Lord, we ask that today as we come and we hear your word, that you would speak to our hearts. You would let our, uh, let our minds and hearts be open and receptive to it. And Father, that you would change us and transform us by your goodness and your grace so that we might go out differently than we came in. Lord, we ask today that, Father, you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in this passage that the church is the eternal spiritual family of God, exercising protection and provision for the pastors, their pay and their purity. The church is the eternal spiritual family of God, exercising protection and provision for the pastors, their, their pay and their purity. Indeed, it is a difficult issue. Managing church leadership and the structure of the church requires a balance of respect and remuneration and impartiality and appropriate discipline. It requires a recognition and appreciation for the hard work and caution for appointing people to such a vital task within the church. We need to be cautious about who we appoint and how we go through the affirmation process. But as we come today, we need to understand it is entirely appropriate for the church to have the role and responsibility of protecting and providing for the pastors, their pay, and their purity. As we come to verse 17, let's begin this morning by seeing an appropriate work for God's elders. An appropriate work for God's elders. In this passage, we take up the issue of family relations between the church family and the elders that God has appointed to be his under-shepherds among them. Let me ask you very quickly, who did I say appointed the person to be pastors and elders? God. The person that God has appointed to be pastors and elders, under shepherds within his ministry. The first responsibility for the church is an appropriate honoring of those that faithfully serve the church. An appropriate honoring of those who faithfully serve the church. Now understand, this is not the only passage uh, that deals with this. Indeed, we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 just a few moments ago. But let me also turn you to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 says, Remember. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. Verse 17 of Hebrews 13 goes on and says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are leading you. They are keeping watch over you as one who will have to give an account for the work that they have done. And so don't make it, don't make it a time of grief. Make it a time of joy. Make it a wonderful experience. Indeed, we need to understand that there, there's 50% of those who go into ministry, according to the statistics from last year, who will not make it more than five years in ministry. One out of Every 10 that I went to seminary with will not make it in ministry when, until the time they retire. It was amazing to have one of our professors ask the class to stand up. And then he asked 90% of the class to sit down. And he said, now look, 
This is how many of you will be left at the end of your ministry. How sad. How sad that the church indeed has a problem within the family and the way that it cares for and whether or not it causes grief or joy to those who serve within its, its family, uh, within the family of the living God. As we come, we also see in First Thessalonians chapter uh, 5, verses 12 through 12 and 13, it says this, We request of you, brothers, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. These passages point to and say, hey, guys, here's what the church ought to look like. It ought to be a loving place where there is peace between the family of God and the elders, the overseers of the living God. Why? Because ultimately we are all one family. There is not the pastoral staff or the pastors, the elders and the overseers and then the church. There is the church with the pastors, elders and overseers. You can no more divorce pastors, elders and overseers from the body life, the family life of the local church, then you can divorce a father from the family. You can't do it. So don't say, well, that's just the pastors, that's just them. They're just doing this. No, we're part of the family of God. God has brought us here for a reason. And so let's remember that. Secondly, we also need to remember that the local church is not a democracy that is governed by majority vote. We said this in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Indeed, a democracy is man's ideal governance within a country. But God's ideal is a monarchy where full power rests and authority rests in the capable hands of Jesus Christ, our Lord of Lords. Indeed, God the Father has ordained the church to be his missionary module within the this world who is lost and dying and Jesus Christ God the Son has purchased the church by his death burial and resurrection as a sacrificial substitute for the sins of all those who would repent and believe in him and now the Holy Spirit is is convicting men of sin righteousness and judgment moving them to conversion and bringing them within the church and at that moment of conversion he gifts every one of them to participate so that they might fulfill a role in responsibility within the local church to serve the living God within the family of God. And so some of those who are converted are men who will be spiritually mature men gifted by the Holy Spirit to lead his church. Indeed, I believe that the New Testament model of the church is to be elder led and congregational rule. Elder-led and congregational rule. That means that, quite frankly, that the elders, the overseers, and the pastors are to be overseeing, directing, determining the course for the church. But at the same time, the congregational, uh, the congregation reserves uh, the rule of, of full oversight at the end of the day. Now, this means, quite frankly, the congregation does not have day-to-day voting power over every issue. Can't you just imagine? Just for a moment, if you had to come vote on whether or not I should go visit somebody in the hospital every time I got a call. What a mess that would be. Every time that I went to to minister to a family who was in need. Can't you just imagine if all of us had to get together? Well, should the pastor go or should we not? 
I'd never go anywhere. Never get anything done. Indeed, it is, the congregational rule does not mean ministerial micromanagement. Rather, it means major issues of direction should be brought before the church so that the church might affirm and move forward for the glory of God's kingdom within this world. This is God's church under God's headship through the Lord Jesus Christ, led by the Holy Spirit and cared for by the under shepherds of elders, overseers and pastors. Indeed, we are to care for the church in such a way that we are to motivate ourselves to find ourselves facilitating the flow of the gospel as we fulfill the great commission by making disciples in the context of the local church that is who we are that is what we are to be about and the elders pastors overseers are to lead in that direction Now, in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3, the elders are appointed to their office uh, by virtue of their spiritual maturity and godly character, not because they went to seminary, not because they're popular, not because they're likable, not because of any other reason than their spiritual maturity and their giftedness by the Holy Spirit to lead within the context of the local church. Indeed, spiritual maturity is the mark of the man who is to be set apart to be an elder is so that he might not be one who would fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. If a man is going to be supported financially uh, for his ministry, then he needs to be a man who is free from the love of money. There never needs to be a question as to whether the pastors, whether the elders, whether the overseers love God or love money more. My prayer is that as you watch and and see my life and and watch and see the lives of our other pastors, Pastor Ted and Pastor Doug and Pastor Keith, that you would see men who are not all about money, but are all about being joyful stewards of the resources God has given us. And as you see our priorities within our life, so the following, uh, following into uh, the realm of making much of the king with our resources, that you as well would devote your resources to him. Indeed, the pastor should be an example of a lover of God that joyfully manages God's money as a good steward. But we also saw in verse 1 of chapter 3 that anyone that desires, anyone that aspires to do the work of an overseer desires to do a good work. Now, what was that term that I used? Work. Some uh, some of us, you know, we spiritualize ministry and say, well, you know, the pastor's super spiritual. He doesn't have a job. (laughs) We've got a job. (laughs) Look around. You just know your life. Multiply it by 350. Understand. Let's be clear. The pastor is to work. It is a hard work with a great deal of time, uh, decidedly unnoticed and unseen by a majority of the congregation. You don't see the early morning visits to prior to surgery, the counseling sessions at off times and off days throughout the course of the schedule, the emergencies often that come at the most inopportune times for the family hospital and nursing home visits for 500 people. And notice here, I have mentioned all All these things that are part of shepherding, but these are not mentioned in the text, nor are they to be the primary responsibilities of the elder. What is to be the primary responsibility of the elder? Well, there it is. Twofold, leading and feeding. Says you ought to rule well, number one, lead. And number two, you ought to feed, preach and teach to God's people. 
And so as I became a pastor, I was quite surprised by the overwhelming nature of the work and the many hours, indeed, uh, within that same survey that I referenced earlier. The average pastor within that survey uh, is somewhere between 55 to 70 hours a week. I would say that most weeks, and my wife would attest to this, uh, that most weeks is closer to 70 than it is to 50. Listen, this is hard work. And there is a sad thing that happens because many times pastors lose their ministries because they have lost their families. And I'm going to say something I haven't said that you need to hear. I've I've compromised that with my wife and with my sons. Two weeks ago, I went a week and a half without sitting down and having bedtime with my wife and my son. Without leading them in devotions, in song, and in prayer. And you know what? That's the wrong priorities for a preacher to have. Because if I lose them, I lose you and I lose everything. And you need to understand, I'm going to be there as much as I can, as often as I can, and I'm going to minister in every way I can to take care of you faithfully. But we have other pastoral staff, we have other deacons who are called alongside to share that load. And when I don't answer my phone on Friday nights, you want to know why? Because my wife is there beside me. We're having date nights. Guys, maybe you need to have date nights with your family. Maybe you need to have a special time set aside for your wife to show her the love and affection that you need to have for her. But I'm telling you right now, we will not compromise our family at the expense of the church family. Why? Because if I lose that family, I've lost all of the family. As we come today... I remember Olivia's father, the first words that ever came out of his mouth when I walked in. He had heard a lot about me. He saw me. He said, "Uh, so you're a preacher. What's it like to work an hour a week? (laughs) We laughed and smiled and had a good time. He knew that wasn't the case. But indeed, we need to understand there's long work, there's hard work, and the first responsibility is for us to lead well within the church, to rule well in the New American Standard. In the NIV, it says, direct the affairs of the church. The Greek word literally means to stand before or to lead, to manage, and to superintend. In Romans chapter 12, verse 8, it is referred to as a spiritual gift of leadership. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, it refers to the elder who manages his household well in verse 5 management is compared to taking care of the church of god it is also compared to the rule or to the word that is used of the good samaritan and caretaking for the one who was on the side of the road this this word to rule has a nuance of assuming responsibility for the care of those under his leadership as a good husband and father is to do for his family so is the pastor to do for his church we cannot divorce that 
The one major task of elders is that of the one major task of elders is that of ruling in the sense of overseeing and shepherding the church. It doesn't mean lording it over the people as we see in First Peter chapter five verse three, but rather it refers to caring for the people faithfully, faithfully and compassionately to guard them from error, to admonish them, and to help each one grow to maturity and fruitfulness in Jesus Christ. Indeed, listen, it is a hard work. It is not an easy task for often when shepherds are around sheep, they smell like sheep. And guess what? Sheep are stubborn and they stink a lot of the time. It's a hard labor, but it's a labor that is worthy. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, after he listed it as a spiritual gift, he says that this gift should be exercised with diligence, that they should work hard. The person who has it should work hard. This means that just because even if you're gifted, leadership doesn't come effortlessly. The church doesn't run on autopilot. Indeed, it involves uh, diligent work to lead well. Things need to be dealt with. Indeed, it's a whole lot easier to let things go and let things just go under the radar and slip by and just uh, procrastinate and say, oh, you know, I'll just go along to get along than to go and to confront the issues that need to be confronted within our church, within our culture. But listen, we can never compromise the gospel at the expense of going along to getting along. We have got to stand forward. And we have got to lead well and to rule well and to set the, set the church on the course that God would have us on. It's easier for us uh, within this context to put it off and sweep it under the rug, but it can, never do, it can never be done in that manner. So one of the major duties of the elders is to be diligent, to rule well, to do the hard work necessary to take care of God's flock. So we are to be leading. But ne- secondly, we are also to be doing what? Feeding. Paul singles out the elders who work hard at preaching and teaching. Not all elders are going to have the gift of teaching, although all must be able to teach in the sense of sitting down with someone and explaining the basic Christian truths. Some will be gifted in teaching, and they should work hard at developing that ministry. Indeed, it is hard work. I would say of preaching that it is somewhere around 90% perspiration and 10% inspiration. It takes a whole lot of time. How is it working one hour a week? Well, tell you what, when I get through studying 12 to 15 hours per sermon, three times a week, three sermons a week. Yes, many of you have never heard Sunday night and Wednesday night because you don't bother coming back, but that's okay. Three times a week. Somewhere between 8 to 12 hours a day. 8 to 12 hours into each one of those. That's 36 hours off the top, guys. 36 hours. And then we haven't even gotten to caring for the flock and ministering in those areas. Guys, we need to understand it is hard work and we need to free up the time so that we can focus ourselves on preparing, as Acts chapter 6 says, devoting ourselves to prayer, to study of the word and proclamation of the word. Indeed, we need to understand That when we stand to preach, the reason it takes me so long to prepare passages to preach is for this reason. Because I believe the Bible is God's word given to reveal himself to man. And I have high esteem for this book called the Bible. 
Pastor, why don't you just preach all kinds of sermons on all kinds of stuff and just deal with whatever you want to deal with? Because I believe this is the Word of God. And I believe that God has given this Word for a purpose. I believe the Bible says exactly what God intended to say and exactly the way God intended to say it for exactly the purposes God intended to say it. So when I stand to preach, I better not get it wrong what the Bible says. I better not make it up or swing, you know, off the hip, shoot off the hip with something that I could come up with in 15 minutes. I better stand and faithfully exposit the word of God, lest you forget at the end of chapter four. That is exactly what Timothy is told to do when it says in verse 12, let no one or verse 13 until I come give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Now, I need to say something of this. Some people will say, well, there's a distinction between preaching and teaching. Well, actually, no, no, that's not here at all. Well, some people are preachers and some people are teachers. Well, pastor, what would you say of yourself? I would say I'm a preacher that teaches and a teacher that preaches. They go hand in hand. In fact, the Greek literally constructs in this way, in word, in proclamation, and in teaching. In word and in teaching. Not one or the other. Some people try to distinguish the two. The Greek word for preach means to proclaim as a herald who would give the message of the king. Indeed, that is what preaching is. To set forth the authoritative message of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings of Jesus Christ himself. But in addition to this, teaching is setting forth and explaining the truths of the Bible. Setting forth and explaining the truths of the Bible in a systematic and doctrinal way. Indeed, I agree with Martin Lloyd-Jones who said in his book, Preachers and Preaching, the greatest need in the church today is to restore this authority to the pulpit. That there would be men of God who would not prostitute the pulpits, but rather proclaim faithfully the word of God from the pulpits day by day, month by month, year by year. Indeed, God's word doesn't give us helpful hints for happy living. It gives us God's clear commands for his children carrying forth his kingdom and his gospel in the midst of a lost and dying world. And the worst thing that we could do is put preachers in the pulpit who are more about entertainment than edification and evangelism. We need pastors who aren't worried necessarily about entertaining, but are worried about edifying and evangelizing the world for Jesus Christ. Indeed, there aren't enough hours in the week to do the things demanded by shepherding a church the size of Adamsville Baptist. The pastor is, but the pastor is not to be lazy. He is to be an example of dedication and devotion to God and to God's kingdom by leading and feeding the church. We live in a day when biblical preaching that sets forth the great truths of Scripture in a systematic fashion is viewed as out of touch with our TV-oriented culture. Pastor, can't you cut it down just a little bit? Pastor, can't you just squeeze it in a little bit more? Can't you just cut it back just a little bit more? Listen, This is the one shot I have to make an impact on our culture and our community for the cause of Jesus Christ. We can't afford to cut it down because they're watching TV for 40 hours a week. Can't find time for God. But we can sit around and piddle and twiddle our thumbs. 
all day long. We must, must, must be people who devote ourselves to ruling well, leading well, and feeding well. Paul clearly elevates the need of the church for strong leadership and for solid preaching by directing that those who labor in these ministries should receive double honor. This is an appropriate work for God's elders. But second of all, and very quickly, we will see an appropriate honor for God's elders. That's an appropriate work for God's elders. But now let's see an appropriate honor for those who would labor in this way. It says they are worthy of what? Double honor. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Indeed, there is some debate over what exactly Paul means by double honor. Does it mean that he is uh, to be honored in remuneration as well as respect? Or is it, does it mean that he's simply to be honored, you know, he, he's to be honored in remunerations only? Or is he to be honored with respect only? As we look and we understand, verse 18 is given to explain for verse 17 and it shows here that Paul is referring primarily to pay although as we looked last week uh, that word honor has a dual meaning both of respect and being willing to pay the price some take the word double literally and they say well this should be double what the widows receive the stipend that the widows receive the elders should receive double that Others take it and say, well, they should receive double what the non-teaching, non-preaching elders were paid. I don't understand that at all. I read that word and I see the word double to mean ample. To mean ample, greater, more. The Greek word honor can mean both honor and pay uh, and both as we saw. So Paul is directing the elders who work hard at preaching and teaching that they should be highly respected and amply provided for. In other words, there is to be ample respect for the person who fills the pulpit well and, res- and remuneration for that person as well. Scott, that just means that it's pay for them. Remuneration. Uh, Steve Brogdon wasn't able to be here, so uh, I'll just fill it in with you. But here's what it means. To be paid. To be paid, to be provided for. They are to receive honor, and they are to receive uh, honor through respect and remuneration. Indeed, one of the signs of disrespect is the lack of money. Indeed, look at our teachers, and we can see, obviously, that that is the case. Uh, if we are underpay someone, then what are we saying to them? That we don't respect him. If we look at our military, we see that as well, that, that the military is grossly underpaid for the privileges and services that they provide in many of our communities you can shrug all free advice indeed but if you pay a counselor a hundred dollars an hour you're more than likely to receive uh you're more than likely to listen to respect and receive what he tells you to do many churches expect the pastors to survive on a substantive salary uh, but then to their detriment they don't respect either the man or the message that they have brought See, most churches that I have run into and been a part of through the years have operated on this one principle. God, you keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. That's not the way it's supposed to work. And I make light of it simply because otherwise it it would be sad. And we would have to shed tears 
over the fact that the church has failed in so many ways and so many times to protect and provide for the man of God who faithfully proclaims the message of God within the pulpit. So we come today, we need to understand that these scriptures shed light on it. Just like the ox is not to be muzzled when he is threshing. That's a great picture, isn't it? The pastor and an ox. I happen to fit that picture a little better than most. But the ox is not to be muzzled while he is threshing. And also, the laborer is worthy of his wages. So the words from Deuteronomy are set alongside of Jesus' words in the Gospel of Luke. And both are seen as authoritative scriptural challenges for there not to be a limit put on those who would faithfully serve the living God just as the ox would walk around within that threshing floor and he would tread on the on the wheat seed and the shaft would separate from the wheat and then they would take it all throw it up in the air and the wind would wind would winnow the shaft away from the wheat and the seed would fall back to the floor the ox was to be able to partake of the work that he had just done in the same way the pastor is to partake of the work that he is doing. Clear enough? Clear enough. I hope so. If not, you can see me later. Indeed, God showed concern for the oxen to be paid for their work. Doesn't he care much more for those who labor in the gospel? They have a right to receive a decent wage for their work. Charles Spurgeon once had the officer, officers of a small country church ask him to recommend a pastor for them. But the salary that they were prepared to pay was so small that he wrote them back. And he said to them this, these words, and I love this, just listen to the wit and the wisdom of Charles Spurgeon. The only individual I know who could exist on such a stipend is the angel Gabriel himself. He would neither need cash nor clothes, and he could come down from heaven every Sunday morning and go back at night, so I advise you to invite him. See, a lot of churches, they want pastor to come down from heaven preach a sermon that's rousing and exciting and amazing and i have all everything you know eyes dotted t's crossed everything picture perfect and go about their way for the rest of the week and then it comes to the issue of pay well how should we pay him well let's don't give him too much let's make sure that he's not provided for too well we don't, want, we don't want to overpay. But Wayne Grudem has observed very astutely this principle. Scripture does not caution us against paying our ministers too much. But it does caution us against paying them too little. And that's a principle for all of us. See, an appropriate honor for God's elders is ample respect and remuneration for the appropriate work he does for God's kingdom within the context of the local church. My question this morning would be one of protection and provision. God has amply provided for us. We are thankful for what we have here. 
There are very few churches who have provided in the way that you have and stepped out in faith as we have stepped out in faith over these last few years. Very few churches our size have the giving that Adamsville Baptist Church has. Very few churches our size has four full-time pastoral staff as well as a full-time secretary and a full-time custodian. Very few churches have that. We have been, it has been a great pleasure and privilege to serve here. And I pray that we'll continue to make decisions not upon our side, but based on the fact that we have faith in the living God and we have set as a course of our church to honor God above all things, to be Christ-centered and to be gospel-driven in the approach that we take to ministry and that we believe that God will see and honor and pour out His blessings from heaven. But you know how he pours out his blessings from heaven? His protection and provision? Through the pockets of you and I. By us realizing that what we have is not ours at all. It is his. And by us putting our priority not on ourselves and our stuff, but on our Savior and his kingdom going forward. My question to you this morning, are you honoring God with everything that you have? Secondly, are you honoring by respecting and by remunerating those who would serve him faithfully within his ministry? So we close this morning. I ask you this morning to search out your heart to see what God would have you do so that you might indeed be one who honors God and honors his servants. Father, we ask this morning. That as we come to our hymn of invitation, Father, that you would search our hearts. Father, that you would allow us, Father, to seek you and to serve you, to be faithful, to minister to those who minister to us. And Lord, that in everything, Father, you might get the honor, you might get the praise, and you might get the glory as we live by faith and not by sight. Lord, may you lead us in this time of decision. If there is someone here this morning who needs to come to know the Savior, the protection and provision of the living God. Uh, Father, this morning I pray that they would step out and come forward. Father, if there are some that that need to start living uh, as if they truly believed in the protection and provision of the living God in these moments, Father, I pray that they would step out, that they wouldn't wait another moment, but Father, day by day they would trust in you and that they would live by faith and not by sight. And Father, that in all the things that we do and say, you would get the honor and you would get the glory and your kingdom would be furthered by the lives that we live here within this community. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing hymn.